The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. With that, let's go ahead and look to God's Word together. If you have an outline, part three, what the Bible says about uh, depression. Serious topic, uh, complicated topic controversial topic. Oh yeah, if you need a Bible, can you raise your hand uh, before we get started? Because we've got Bibles, the ushers will let you use there. Um, Speaking of depression, so I originally gave this outline out the first week we were teaching at seven points. Today we're going to cover point number, where are we? I changed it a couple of times, Um, depending upon your outline from the first week or the second week. I want to talk about the causes of depression today because we haven't gotten there yet because we spent really two weeks just talking about a definition of depression and spent a lot of time talking about that there's great controversy about even coming up with an agreed-upon definition of depression. As a matter of fact, there is not an agreed-upon definition of depression. Um, You've got the secular definition of depression, which you can Google depression, then poop, usually clinical depression pops up. You have this very narrow description of depression. It doesn't go into great detail. It's just understood that everybody knows what they're talking about. They sometimes call it clinical depression and other various forms. So it's from a very medical, it's from a medical point of view, but also from a secular point of view, not from a biblical point of view. And even among the secular doctors, they can't really agree totally on a uniform definition of depression. Then you've got the Christian world that has their interpretations of what depression is. And even in the Christian world, you've got great variance and disparity about trying to agree upon a definition of depression. So that's the big struggle there, is defining what it is. Because from a pastor's point of view or a Christian point of view, when you have somebody that comes to you and says, I am struggling with depression and they're a Christian, you want to help them. But first, you want to be able to define what that means. What does a person mean when they say, I have depression, or this person is struggling with depression? So we spent really the first two weeks talking about what is depression, why there's disagreement about different definitions. I gave uh, my definition that I basically drew out of the gleanings of God's Word and tried to make it concise. Um, I did show from the Psalms, about the first 50 to 60 Psalms, that the Bible uses literally dozens and dozens of different words to describe depression. And my point was we can't be superficial or one-dimensional when talking about depression or what it is and in diagnosing it because the Scripture is not superficial and one-dimensional. It describes depression with dozens and dozens of different terms. And that was just in the Old Testament in one book and the half book of Psalms. I could have gone throughout the whole Old Testament and then into the New Testament and we would have had dozens and dozens and dozens of more words used to describe someone dealing with depression. And also from that study, I emphasize that there are different degrees of depression from mild to very severe. We see that in Scripture. So it it is a challenge uh, to address this topic. Uh, So by way of summary, let me give you a summary of what we talked about in the last two weeks, and then we'll go to the main point of today, and that is, what are the causes of depression? And by way of summary, I'll just give you the main points of what we talked about the last couple of weeks, and I'll add some information as we go. Um, We did say that depression is the number one malady in the world among people. It's the number one thing universally that people deal with as a problem in life. And if you're a pastor and you do any kind of counseling, you'll find that to be true. I've been counseling people as a pastor for years, and that would be true from my experience, that most of the problems are related to or dealing with someone who is struggling with depression from one degree to another. So it's the number one malady in the world we have to contend with. Therefore, it's very important. Can't rush through it. We need to take our time and really See what God's Word has to say about this. We talked about how it is a complex and complicated topic, highly debated. We addressed that. Um, We talked about its definition. 
what is it from a secular point of view then also from a biblical point of view. Uh, we talked about one of the main points was that the Bible talks about depression. It's one of the first points that I made and really hammered away on that because many Christians are taught to believe that the Bible doesn't talk about depression. I've had Christians tell me that. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about depression or the Bible doesn't talk about panic attacks or the Bible doesn't talk about uh, clinical depression and all these other secular terms that have been invented in the last 50 years. And I argued, also showing from Scripture, no, the Bible does talk about depression and it does so comprehensively and authoritatively so therein lies our hope I believe because God has the answers uh, we also talked about there are different kinds of depression not extensively but a little bit I began to allude to that very important point there are different kinds of depression so I want to emphasize that a little bit more today there's legitimate depression and there's illegitimate depression there is sinful depression and there is depression that could be defined as depression, that I would say is not sinful. That's why when somebody comes along and says, I'm struggling with depression, that's not an adequate diagnosis. And we talked about how the word depression, that it's really not a helpful word. It's too big, it is too general, it is too clunky, it lacks precision, and I compared it to someone saying, I have a headache. And we talked about how, well, you could, yeah, that's true, you have a headache. You're really just describing a symptom. You're not really giving a diagnosis. When you have a headache, there could be a thousand different causes for your headache. You have to get behind uh, that term headache to find out, well, what's the cause? What's going on? What is at the root? Same thing with depression. I have depression. Okay, well, let's get behind that term and let's really investigate what's going on here. What do you mean when you say, I have depression? Because that term is not sufficient. As a matter of fact, it's, it's really not a biblical term in terms of routinely being used to describe people with depression throughout the Bible. We went through those dozens of biblical terms in the Psalms. The word depressed wasn't one of them, even though it's in the Hebrew language translated over into English, but the English translations in Psalms didn't use depressed, although uh, with the Psalm regarding David who was undergoing depression, he did use the terminology that was very graphic, saying he was being pressed down which is a definition of depression, emotionally pressed down. So that was about the closest. Uh, a favorite word of the Bible is distressed, vexed, grieved. These are English words that describe what depression is, what it does to the human person. So very complicated. So there's different kinds of depression, um, illegitimate. And like I said, there's sinful depression, and there's depression that's not sinful. I referred to Matthew 26, 37, and 38, just before Jesus' death, where it says in 37 and in 38, it uses three different Greek words that are very graphic, very specific, talking about how Jesus was highly distressed in his soul, very grieved to the point where he began to sweat great drops of blood literally through his pores, and one commentator that we quoted from, biblical commentator, said that Jesus in that moment was depressed. And it was a true depression. And it was probably a greater depression than any human being has ever been confronted with. And a corollary to that reality is that, oh, so then all forms of depression might not be sinful because Jesus never sinned. And one English translation even used the word depression describing what Jesus went through in Matthew 26, 37, and 38. So Jesus got depressed, whatever that means. He was highly distraught, distressed in his soul. That was one form of many forms of depression. So you can be depressed and not be in sin, but at the same time, you can be in depression and it is a sinful depression. A good analogy or comparison is talking about the emotion of anger. Is it sinful to be angry? And your answer, if you're biblical, would be, well, it depends, right? Because you can be angry and not be in sin. We know that because Jesus got angry. God gets angry. As a matter of fact, anger is one of the basic attributes and characteristics of Almighty God who is pure and holy and sinless. So Jesus got angry, yet he never sinned. So uh, depression just by way of analogy, it might be helpful to think it of compared to anger because you can be sinful in your anger and you can also be angry and not sin. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians, do not sin 
in your anger. It's okay to have righteous indignation, godly anger, or to be frustrated and angry, but just don't sin as a result of your anger. Jesus never sinned in his anger. Jesus never sinned when he was dealing with distress, or if you wanted to call it depression. The problem with us humans who are fallen, finite and weak, we are very susceptible. We easily fall prey to sin when we are dealing with our emotions that so easily get out of control. And so when we're confronted with anger, uh, routinely we sin in our anger. And also with distress and the emotion of distress and that comes along with it, we sin in how we deal with our depression many times. And that's, that's the problem we're dealing with as we diagnose people and find out what's causing the distress in their life and how are they handling it and is it a sinful form or is it sinful habits and sinful thinking that's even creating this depression that they're having. That's all the things that have to be analyzed and looked at. So that's what I mean by there are different kinds of depression. So I don't like that word depression. It's not really helpful. We need to, when you want to diagnose somebody's problem biblically, one of the first things you need to do is you need to put their problem into biblical terminology. We can't use the secular world's definition and terms and then try to just strictly from there diagnose it from a Christian point of view. That doesn't work. If they're not using biblical terms, we can't come up with a biblical diagnosis. And the secular, unbelieving, Darwinian, evolutionary, atheistic, humanistic world of science and philosophy has a habit of taking issues related to the human condition and redefining what the problem is in unhelpful and even in unbiblical ways. They do that all the time. They did that in this last century with alcoholism or drunkenness, which God said clearly since the time of Noah in Genesis chapter 9, that drunkenness is a sin. Paul reiterates that clearly for the New Testament church in Ephesians 5.18, that drunkenness is dissipation. Drunkenness is sinful. Then the secular world comes along in the American culture and says, no, drunkenness is slash alcoholism, and alcoholism isn't sinful. It is a disease. See? You've just taken that out of the spiritual realm, you put it down in the human realm strictly, and you put it into the medical realm, and you've taken all morality out of it whatsoever. But that's what the unbelieving world does, and they've done that with just about every malady that confronts a human being, including anxiety, including distress, including depression. Things like, even things, the, the terminologies and the acronyms that they come up with are so superficial, shallow, dismissive, they're not defined and created from a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview whatsoever. That's why you've got to be very careful when you're in this generation and in this day and age. As a Christian, when you're trying to get answers to life questions, where do you go? How do you diagnose a problem as a Christian? By the way, that's a great challenge, great question, great thought. I'll tell you what's typical in this day and age. How we as Christians like the rest of the world, diagnose something or seek to get answers. For example, if I want answers on, okay, how do I fix a, something, a, a doohickey in a car engine? Can you tell I wasn't a mechanic growing up? What do you do to get the answers? Oh, well, you go to Google or you go to the Internet. Tell me how to fix a car engine. Bing, there's all your answers. How much does the biggest ostrich in the world weigh? Bing, there's your answer, 345 pounds. Uh, and on and on. Now, that's fine and dandy, but when it is a question that ventures off into the metaphysical world, the spiritual world, the world of God's domain and humanity and anthropology, and you're running to the Internet to get a superficial answer, you're going to get in trouble. You are being misled and you will be deceived as a Christian. Because the first place that a Christian should go in those areas is not to the Internet. It is to the Bible. It is to God's Word, right? It is seeking wisdom from the Spirit of God through the Word of God to get the answers. And this is true when it comes to human anthropology, human problems. Very important. So here's the challenge. If I were to ask all of us and just give you a pop quiz, and before this little speech I just gave, and I were to ask you, so what are the main causes of depression? It is so habitual, so routine, so second nature for many of us that you get a question like that. Okay, what are the causes of 
depression. And you just you'd in, you punch it in the internet. Google, what are the causes of depression? Bing, oh, there are seven. Here they are. Ding, 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 ding. And we don't even look at who wrote the article, what their worldview is, what they believe about God, if they believe about God at all, what they believe about the Bible, if they believe about the Bible at all. And here's their seven little points, and we take that, and that's fact, and I'm going on Jeopardy. That is incredibly dangerous. But that's the culture in which we live. All the answers, all the wisdom of life isn't in the older generation of godly saints who have walked before us. It's at our fingertips in the Internet. And many times, it's not in God's Word. It's in the Internet. Now, the Internet has helpful resources, but this is just a caution for us to think about that. If I want to learn how to fix a car engine, yeah, I'll go to the Internet or somebody who knows how to do it. But when it comes into the realm of spiritual life and reality, or what Peter called in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where God has granted to us who are Christians, who are believers, all God has granted to us everything as Christians in terms of spiritual resources since we've been born again, of everything that pertains to life and godliness. That is sufficiency by virtue of our salvation in Christ. Life and godliness, those are the limits. How to fix a car engine is not an issue that pertains to life. That's not what Peter is talking about. When he said God has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness, he's talking about the life we live as Christians from day to day. Everything that is relevant and needed to know by a Christian to live this life has been given to us by God, and today we can find it in his word. So everything pertaining to life and godliness, how to live a godly life, how to deal with our sin, how to please God, how to live a life of obedience, all the answers are given to us, totally sufficient, found in God's Word in the sufficiency of our salvation, the sufficiency of the Spirit of God who lives in every Christian. It's there. And so when we are confronted or challenged with an issue pertaining to humanity and the ailments of humanity... The first place, the first resource we need to go to is God's Word. God's Word. How do we deal with depression? We don't go to first medical journals online. By the way, in preparing and studying for this, I did that. I didn't go there first, but I wanted to cover my bases. I wanted to see what the secular, unbelieving, humanistic, Darwinian, evolutionary world believed about depression and also about humanity. And I read all that. So you don't need to... Email me any other medical journals you find online. I've probably read them all. But I wanted to see what their worldview was, how they attacked and addressed this problem and this issue. Can't be ignorant of it. But then I also went to the Scriptures to see what God had to say, and they're drastically different. So we need to come up with the proper diagnosis, and that begins with putting ailments described by the world into biblical terms. So when somebody says clinical depression... That is a very technical, limited, secular term. I want to translate that into biblical terminology. What are they talking about? Or those other acronyms I was talking about, like S-A-D-D. That's seasonal depression. You get depressed based on the season of life and the weather. S-A-D-D or A-D-D. Attention Deficit Disorder. That is some phrase that some guy made up about 40 years ago. Now it's the authoritative end-all of everything of a diagnosis. But it's very limited. It's quite superficial. By the way, I, was, I had formal professional training on how to diagnose someone, particularly young people, with ADD and ADHD. I went through the training along with some other teachers, colleagues of mine. And that was an eye-opener. That was probably about 17 years ago. And we were trained by a professional counselor who believed in the diagnosis of ADD and how to diagnose someone. And in the training, this, this is all it was. ADD, attention deficit disorder, and they gave us 13 bullet points. And if a person has seven out of the 13, they probably they have ADD. And so we're, we're going through, and I'm sitting with uh, fellow colleagues, they're men and they're believers, and they're friends of mine and they're fellow teachers, and we're going through this list. Okay, if, if a student uh, can't sit down for five minutes in his desk, might have ADD. If a student has a hard time getting along with other classmates, 
if a student has uh, an attitude problem and talks back to the teacher, I mean, so there are 13 of these descriptions, and if they had seven out of 13, then they were to be labeled ADD. And a, a couple of them were related to each other. Like if you have a, if it's hard for you to sit down in one place for an extended period of time. And so all of us were talking, and we, we agreed that we all had ADD when it was over. <laughs> I was like a, a 13 out of 14. I mean, I am bad ADD dude. And we all agreed. And here, and it, it, we were told that it's to, to address it, Ritalin is to be given because it's a hormonal thing and it's a physiological thing and it's a medical thing. And yet the way you diagnose this has nothing to do with medicine. You don't take a blood test. You don't check anything about your physiology. It's not treated as an organic disease. It's just simply yes and no questions out of 13. And if they're seven, you have ADD. And as a result, you get Ritalin. Really? Wow. That just seemed weird to me. It didn't seem right. So I am not saying that ADD is not a reality. I believe it is a reality. The question is, how do we term it? How do we diagnose it properly from a biblical point of view? As a matter of fact, one of the common denominators in the 13 points of assessing ADD was a lack of self-control. That is in Galatians chapter 5. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God. So is ADD real? Uh, if you want to call it ADD, okay, granted, I'll let you do that. I would say yes. Do people have a problem with self-control and attention span? Yeah, absolutely. But the question is, how do we diagnose it properly, give it proper terminology in a biblical context, and then we can attack it from a biblical world view? And so that is the same problem we have with depression. That's what makes it so complicated. That's why people argue and debate about this, even in the Christian world so much, because they're, they're using a different vocabulary and they're missing each other. Somebody's on an AM frequency and the other one's on an FM frequency and they're not even talking about the same thing even though they think they are. So we've got to have the same terminology, same perspective. Very, very important. That's what I've been trying to do is lay the foundation and the groundwork for doing this, for coming up with examining what are the causes and what is the cure. That's what you've been waiting for for three weeks, by the way. We still haven't got there yet. So it is complicated. We need to be thorough. And I do want to remind you that I told you that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher of the last century, oh, the, the British preacher, he spent 21 Sunday mornings on this topic. I'm not going to spend 21. But I can see why, once you get into it, he spent so long. This was 50 years ago. I'll spend four or five. And we're going to get to a biblical conclusion about all of this. So the need for biblical terminology. Um... With that, let's go ahead and move on to the causes of depression. The causes of depression. What are the causes? Oh, we can't even talk about that because there is debate about the cause and the solution of depression. As a matter of fact, there was debate about the definition. There's even greater debate about the cause. This is where it gets kind of ugly. This is where ire goes up in people's tempers, even in talking about it. Can't agree. Even in, among Christians, what are the causes of depression? So I looked at the secular journals online this week, and here are the top 11 causes of depression, according to the experts. Again, probably not coming from a Christian point of view, but probably from a, a very humanistic evolutionary point of view. I keep saying Darwinian evolution point of view because what I'm emphasizing there is the people who come from a Darwinian evolutionary point of view, they don't believe that God is the creator of human beings. They believe that human beings evolved over time from animals and even from non-living life and just matter. And really, they would say that a human being isn't made in the image of God and complex, but really human beings are just an animal or really just like a machine. So we're really no different than a car engine. A very mechanical view of humanity that is horrible. Whereas the Christian point of view is every human being is made in God's image. We are different than animals. We are different than plants. We are different than all of creation and rocks and matter. We are made directly by God in his very image, reflecting God who is very complex in all of his divine attributes. And we share many of those divine attributes from God, including God's emotions. God is an emotional being. He's a perfectly emotional being. And emotions play a huge part in depression. We are all emotional human beings. And depression is interrelated to emotion. You can't get away from that. 
And we have emotions because we've been made in God's image. And so these medical journals are assessing, diagnosing, and describing depression from a non-biblical point of view. So it's strictly from a very uh, medicinal or medical, atheistic, secular, evolutionary point of view. And as I read the top 11 causes of depression, note how God is missing in the equation and so are biblical and spiritual truths in there but yet this is the professional authoritative assessment that all americans should believe so what are the causes of depression according to the world uh and they're not in any particular order Uh, abuse if you have abuse in your past Um, genetics your dna your family history is the cause Medications. Say, say you're on a, a medication for something. Maybe you're on a medication for high blood pressure, just by way of example, or for diabetes. And it could be that one of those medications for diabetes or high blood pressure actually makes you susceptible to depression, which they suspect is true. But anyway, they're saying this is a cause of depression. Major events in life are a cause of depression. Major changes, even good things. Uh, you're about to get married. Uh, you're getting divorced, you're moving, you got a new job, you got fired from a new job, or just major events in life can bring on uh, depression, or what they're saying is the cause of depression. Personal conflict is the cause of depression, uh, they're telling us. Having a serious illness can be a cause of depression. Say you just found out you have some terminal disease or a serious disease, you need to have a surgery, and that brings on uh, depression. By the way, I'm not denying any of these right now. I'm not saying these are not true. I'm just saying this is what the world says are the causes of depression. As a matter of fact, I would say that every single one of these plays into or contributes to our struggle with depression, which is very different than saying these are the causes of depression. That's the difference. I think some of these actually might be a result of having the depression and not the cause of depression. And I'll give you one that's a specific example of that. They say that those who struggle with depression, especially long-term chronic clinical depression, a high percentage of those people have a history of substance abuse. And so they're saying that substance abuse causes depression. And I would tend to, to see it the exact opposite. People battling with depression, struggling with distress and anxiety, and don't have any resources to cope or deal with it, Many times try to run away, numb themselves, drown out their depression with alcohol or with drugs. So that is an exactly opposite view of how substance abuse relates to... I wouldn't say it's always the cause. I'd say probably more times than not, substance abuse is a result of having depression and trying to figure out how to deal with it. We see this in the world of Hollywood and actors and uh, music stars all the time. They're doing fine when they're young and when they have success and then they get a little older and all of a sudden they can't deal with the problems of reality and they're trying to drown everything away through alcohol. That is such a common testimony of those people. Drugs and everything else. We were talking about Elvis Presley over vacation and how he went that way and was trying to deal with his depression through drugs. The medication eventually caught up and it it killed him. Uh, Other causes they tell us that cause... uh, Oh, death or the loss of a loved one is the cause of depression. Some even say that you're born with it. That's interesting. Personally, I've never seen a three-year-old clinically depressed child. I haven't met one yet. For the most part, kids are pretty happy, live in the world of imagination. What a beautiful world that is, isn't it? I want to be three years old again. But they would say you're born with it. Just like today they're trying to tell us if, you, if you're homosexual, you were born that way and you can't change. You were born that way and therefore you're not responsible. You're born that way and therefore it's natural. You're born that way and therefore it is good. You're born that way. God made you that way. That's what they're saying. And then probably the most, oh, these are, these are two of the most popular ones today from the world. It's due to the brain, the synapses in the brain, which has to do also with the connections and the electroactivity going on and even some of the hormones going around and that kind of thing and the fluids in the brain. So it's a very surface, mechanical humanistic view of humanity. You are a machine and your cogs are just tweaked. We need to retweak the cogs. It has nothing to do with your soul, 
your spirit, your relationship with God, strictly external. Blame it on the brain. It's a great book. It talks about that. And then finally, oh, well, it's a hormonal imbalance. That's the number one answer. Now, there, if it's a hormonal imbalance, that means you've got hormones and fluids going on in your body messing everything up. So all you need, it's a quick fix. What do you need to do? Just balance out the hormones. You've got too much of this, then we'll give you a pill that balances it out or overrides that. That is the solution proposed most time about dealing with depression today from that point of view. Uh, do I believe in hormonal imbalance? Absolutely. But for a different reason. Does hormonal imbalance play into people with depression? Absolutely. But from a different perspective, from what I think the biblical point of view is. So I'm going to give you six biblical causes of depression. As I searched the scriptures, read many chapters, most of these are drawn from biblical characters who were real, live, historical human beings. Almost all of them were believers, and they struggled with different levels and degrees and lengths of depression. So here are the causes of depression. Uh, go to Genesis chapter 3 and then put your finger in Romans chapter 8. Okay, reason number one for depression, the actual cause, is we live in a fallen world. The, the world is fallen. This world was cursed by God because of sin. The curse. So Adam and Eve were created as real people. Our first two parents. They were created sinless. They fell into sin and disobedience. And as a result, God punished them. And part of that punishment or the consequence was that God cursed the earth. He cursed even them themselves. And ever since then, every human being has been born into and lives in a cursed, fallen world. Even Jesus. Jesus was born into this cursed, fallen world. And that's why Jesus struggled with depression at times because He humbled Himself and became a 100% human being. And He got tired. He got weary. He got hungry. He wept. He wept. Can you, can you imagine? He wept. God in the flesh wept. He got distressed. Why, did all this, why was he subjected to all this? Because he lived in a cursed and fallen world. So that's Genesis chapter 3. Because you have done this, God said in uh, Genesis 3, 15, uh, actually starting in verse 14, God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle. So God cursed all the animals and the snake. Verse 15, he cursed uh, Satan and Satan's relationship with the human race. Verse 16, God cursed women, specifically related to their pregnancy and giving childbirth and the relationship to their prospective spouse. The marriage relationship was cursed because of sin. Are you, do, you ever, do people ever get depressed, distressed in their marriage because of their marriage relationship? Yeah, they do. As a matter of fact, it brings on the worst forms of depression, be it uh, fighting or not getting along or divorce and separation. That is devastating. Absolutely devastating. Well, why did that happen? How come they didn't live happily ever after? Well, it's Genesis 3.16 is why. The cause was God's curse from Genesis 3. The ultimate cause is what I'm talking about. And then God cursed Adam as the head of the human race Cursed is the ground because of you. Literally, cursed is the earth because of you. Everything about it. It is fallen. It is dying. It is falling. You can't save Mother Earth. Give up trying. It is cursed. It is dying. And it was cursed by God. And we're confronted with all these horrific things that happen in the world, even in the natural world, that are terrible. Who is the most depressed human being who ever lived for a lengthy, lengthy period of time would be Job. And so God gave us the book of Job, 42 chapters long, very specific, describing why was he depressed? How did he get into his depression? At the very beginning of the book, it gives us several reasons. Basically, all of the reasons I'm going to tell you were the causes of Job's depression. And one of them was had to do with the natural world being cursed because a horrific storm, wind, tornado came in and killed his entire family, all ten of his children. And it devastated him. 
there is nothing more devastating than losing the life of a child or a spouse or someone you love so dearly. So God cursed the earth and we live in a fallen world. That's just all there is to it. So I understand when some people, when people come to me and say I have problems, yeah, me too. As the sparks fly upward, says the book of Job, so or Ecclesiastes, no, Job, so are the problems in life. It's just a reality. It is a maxim. It is just a truism. Now, the commentary on Genesis 3 is Romans 8, so let's go there real quick to emphasize the reality of, well, why is there depression? Why isn't this world perfect? Why are we not experiencing utopia, even if we put a flower in our hair and smoke marijuana? Well, because of Romans 8, that's, that's why. So after Acts, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse uh, 18, the Apostle Paul talking to Christians, and he's reminding them, man, you got all this glorious truth about you. you. God saved you. God put the Spirit of God in you. Isn't that exciting? Amen. You're adopted. You're in Christ. God is your Father. Yippee! The Christian life is perfect and rosy, isn't it? And then Paul says, not. Newsflash, verse 18. Bummer, I hate newsflashes. Paul says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time, okay, Christian, the sufferings present tense, we all undergo suffering. That's life, trials of life, the suffering of life. That includes depression, that includes distress, that includes anxiety and all that goes with it. That is a reality. It's a reality for everybody. It's, and it's going to continue during this entire lifetime that we are here until Jesus comes again. We can't undo it. It's a part of the curse. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, there's the hope. This life is messed up. We live in a messed up world. This life is messed up. It makes us messed up. We feel messed up. Uh, that is a truism. That's a reality. We've got to deal with it. We've got to live with it. We've got to confront it. But it doesn't stop there for the Christian. We look beyond that to the hope of glory where that will be no more, right? In heaven when Jesus comes. So Paul is giving the believer hope. Hope. He's acknowledging reality and yet giving hope. And that's biblical counsel. You acknowledge the reality and don't dismiss it. And you give the true biblical hope. The promise of God. Verse 19, for the anxious longing of creation. So the created order is under distress is what that means. From the curse of God. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God in the future. For the creation, here it is, was, this is talking about the curse in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. The creation was subjected to the curse of God. That's why our world is messed up. We are not getting better and better. The world is getting worse and worse. We need a realistic view of life. Creation was subjected to utility, not on its own, but because of Him, God, who subjected it. Yet He did it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free someday from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Those who know Jesus Christ have this hope. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans. There's a key word. Paul uses it three times. Groan, groan, groan. There is a lot of groaning that goes on in this life. And there's a reason for it. It's basic to life. All of creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan. See, even the Christian is not exempt. You become a Christian, your life isn't going to be rosy. You're going to keep groaning all of your days because of the reality of living in a fallen, cursed world. It is not easy. Life is not easy. Within, we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. See, there, again, there's that hope. There's that hope. But we, we groan, but we've got hope. We groan, but we've been saved. We groan, but we've been forgiven. We, we groan, yet Jesus has adopted us into His family. We groan, but Jesus is coming. We groan, but He will do away with all of this in the future in our resurrection bodies. It's a reality for all eternity. So we need that hope. And it's a realistic hope. But we groan within ourselves. I'm depressed. I believe you. I'm distressed. I believe you. Waiting eagerly for our adoption is the children of God, the redemption of our body. That's the resurrection. That is the glorious resurrection. Verse 24, for in hope we have been saved. See, we've got to look to the future. Look to the future. Look to, we don't live for the here and now only in this life. We keep our eye on the prize, right? Keep your eyes fixed on heaven, on the glorious Savior and Lord Jesus. So what is the cause of depression? We live in a fallen world. 
That was not on any list that I read in any medical journal that I found online. Zip, nada. And it's actually the number one reason we struggle with depression. The main reason. And unbelievers will laugh in your face if you say that's the reason. Let them laugh. Paul said that what we believe and the truisms we believe that God gave us are foolishness to the world. Foolishness. They laugh in our face. Okay, five more causes. Number two, sin. Why is why do we struggle with depression? Because we are born in sin. We are born separated from God. We are not Christians when we're born. We need to be reborn. Uh, sinners are enemies of God. Next week we're going to talk about uh, the difference of depression and the solution for a Christian who struggles with depression and an unbeliever who struggles with depression. Th- those are huge. There's a huge chasm there. How do you counsel an unbeliever who has depression? That's a very different answer than how do you counsel a Christian struggling with depression. But sin. So we are all sinners. Even though we are saved, we still have sin living in us. It weighs us down. It makes us vulnerable to depression in all of its forms. So we share that in common. Sin isn't the only cause of depression, but it can be a main cause of depression. David is the prime example in the Old Testament where he committed adultery and then he basically committed murder and then he tried to hide his sin for about six months, nine months, almost a year. And during that time, he recounts how he was in an utter state of clinical depression for months and months and months. And why was he depressed? Because of his sin. And when he confessed to sin and asked God for forgiveness, poof, he was restored and revived. And his depression regarding that matter dissipated. God was gracious. So causes of sin. We live in a fallen world. Number two, because we are sinners. Number three, uh, Satan's oppression. There is satanic opposition that we face that is the cause of many forms of depression. Prime example would be King Saul in the Old Testament. Did King Saul go to heaven? That's a controversial question. I do know this. King Saul was not an atheist. King Saul was raised as a Jew. King Saul professed to believe in Yahweh. King Saul prayed to Yahweh. King Saul worshipped Yahweh in different forms at different times. King Saul was recognized as an authority among the people of God, the Jews, King Saul. Did he go to heaven? I don't know. That only God knows. But he had a profession of faith in Yahweh as God, despite his sinful, erratic behavior. But King Saul many times went into deep depression. And some of this depression was brought on by a, a spirit of depression, a spirit of oppression. could be satanic oppression, demonic oppression was what brought distress and depression into his life. And Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, very clear that Satan was an architect behind the scenes bringing depression into the life of Job. That is a reality. I did not see Satan as a cause in any of the medical journals that I read this week of depression. Zip, nada, zilch. And yet here I, I just gave you the three main reasons or causes of depression. We live in a fallen world. Sin, Satan, number four, causes of depression. Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. Unbiblical thinking. This is even true of Christians. We have wrong thinking. We have to correctly realign our thinking and take our thinking and filter it through the Word of God and rein in our thinking and battle our thinking and wrestle with our thinking and beat our thinking into subjection because by nature we are warped, we are twisted, we are self-centered. That's what the Bible says. And we need to vet our thinking the paradigm of the Word of God continually and forevermore. And that's why Philippians 4 is so important. Think on these things, things that are pure and lovely and true. Because so often we naturally think on things that are not true. Conspiracy theories and on and on. And wrong thinking and myths given out by the world. So wrong thinking many times is a cause of depression in all various forms. And that's why as a biblical counselor, one of the things you're trying to diagnose is what does this professing Christian, what does this legitimate Christian who is struggling with depression, regardless of how severe the depression is, what is their worldview? What do they think about? 
what do they view about God? What do they view about their salvation? What do they view about Christ? What do they think about the scriptures? What do they think about is the cause of their depression? What do they think is the cause of the solution of their depression? Uh, do they understand all of these truths from a strictly biblical point of view? And many times you will find out in all the diagnosis and the diagnostic questions vetted through scripture, uh, erroneous thinking is exposed and it's like Eureka. Wow. No wonder you're thinking this way or no wonder you feel this way. Your thinking is wrong and unbiblical. We need to correct that thinking with the truth of the word of God. And many times that brings healing relief and you are set free. And that's why Jesus could say, know the truth and the truth will set you free. Think on biblical truth and the biblical truth will set you free. Literally, it will liberate you. So what are the causes of depression, a fallen world that we live in, the sin that lives in us? satanic oppression satan is our enemy he wants to destroy us he is the destroyer he is the deceiver he is supernatural he is invisible he's very powerful uh number four wrong thinking that we are all subject to number five uh fifth uh, cause possible cause of um depression not managing our emotions properly where do we get emotions uh not from the fall not from the devil not from your spouse or a fellow family member. We got our emotions from God. We were made in the image of God. God is an emotional being. He's a perfectly balanced emotional being. We are fallen emotional beings. And so we get things out of order. Um, God gave us emotions to kind of be the end result of the process of our thinking and behaving. And what we as humans do is we take our emotions that are supposed to be at the back end and we put them on the front end. And instead of being logical thinkers, thinking on truth, we become emotional thinkers, letting our emotions dictate our view of reality. That is absolutely backwards. Or a lot of times we're feeling a certain way and the emotions are a wrong assessment of reality or truth. And then we operate based on how I feel. Well, I feel, well, I feel, well, I feel when it should be. Well, I think, well, I think or God's word says we're not supposed to operate based on our emotions. Emotions are not the foundation. The emotions should be the byproduct and end all in the human experience. Emotions are not bad. Emotions are a gift from God. But every gift given by God can be distorted, misused, and perverted. And that is also true of emotions. And emotions is inextricably linked to this problem of what we call depression. And if we're going to diagnose our problem with depression, we have got to look at our emotions. We've got to be honest. What emotions are we experiencing? What emotions are we feeling? Why are we having these emotions? What am I doing with these emotions? Are these emotions dictating the agenda, dictating my responses, dictating uh, the prescription the doctor wants to give you? But emotions are not the cause of depression. But we need to manage our emotions and when we're thinking wrong then we have wrong emotions and if we have wrong thought about emotions that can be a cause of depression so i'll say it again emotions in and of themselves are not bad they're intended by god to be a good thing but when not managed properly they can contribute to being the cause of depression so and that and that is inextricably linked to our thinking our thinking and our emotions go together you just can't separate them this is human beings are dynamic made in the image of God. It all goes together. Our spirit, our soul, our physical world in which we live, our sin, our salvation, the indwelling Holy Spirit, how we think, how we act, our emotions, all of it is intertwined, very complex. So we can't spout out superficial answers in this area. It's too complicated. So what are the causes of depression? Can be. Well, the fallen world in which we live our indwelling sin, satanic opposition, wrong thinking, not managing our emotions properly. We've got to rein those in. And then finally, number six. Depression in its various and different forms, the cause of depression. By the way, the first five that I just gave you, primarily I'm saying those are causes of depression that is not welcomed or healthy or natural or sometimes can be usually sinful. Not always, but sometimes. But number six, uh, the sixth cause of depression, it could be the depression you're going through is just a natural result of experiencing the trials of life. That's all. It, it's not this big idealistic spiritual answer. You don't have to overanalyze it. In other words, it's just it's kind of normal. As a matter of fact, get this. 
It could be normal, not only normal. It could be healthy, the depression that you're going through dealing with and wrestling with. Because a lot of times people that talk about depression, really when you get down to it, it's not depression as much as distress or grieving that they're going through. And if you're grieving the loss of a loved one, you should be depressed. There should be a time of grieving and sadness and distress and a heavy heart and a heavy mind and weeping and tears and abnormality. That's that's okay. As a matter of fact, did you know that in the Old Testament there were times where God commanded believers at the death of one of the saints to mourn their death, to grieve for them? To be depressed about the loss, if you will. Commanded in Scripture. So just because you're depressed, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a sinful thing. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it might be the right thing or the normal thing or the healthy thing. The question is, why are you depressed? Is it illegitimate or legitimate? Most of the time, if I am depressed... It's for the wrong reason. It's sinful, self-centered, woe is me, self-pity, brought on by myself, depression. I am an expert at it. I'm a professional sinner most of the time. But there are times in my life when I experienced depression. I thought about this week. When was I most depressed in my life? There was about, that was the top ten. I thought, well, the top four are pretty similar. And I experienced the top four of depression as a pastor, as a Christian, as a church leader. And they go into category six. When I experienced it, I just think it wasn't something to be avoided. It was something to be embraced and welcomed. And I needed to walk through that. Day by day, I needed to wrestle with it. I needed to wrestle with my emotions. I needed to wrestle with God in prayer. I needed to wrestle with the questions of life that I couldn't answer. I needed to wrestle with the loss and the hurt that was brought on in the process, which by God's design, I believe, was a healthy thing. It wasn't to be avoided. It wasn't to be dismissed. It wasn't to be minimized by numbing my emotions through alcohol or drugs I needed to welcome it like the psalmist did so many times. Did I like it? Absolutely not. Did God see me through it? Absolutely He did. Did I grow as a result? I think so. Did I think I was growing at the time? Absolutely not. Did I want nothing to do with it? I didn't. God, why, did I have to, why do I have to be going through this? Why did I go through this? So the four uh, occasions of the most severe depression and trials in my life, emotionally, spiritually, and even affecting me physically, not being able to sleep properly, not being able to eat properly, not being able to socialize with people normally. Uh, They were three church-related matters, three different churches at the leadership level, where it wasn't so much a church split as a leadership split. When I was an elder pastor, associate pastor, and fractures in the leadership in all three of those instances, which were traumatic, devastating. For me, spiritually, emotionally, physically, psychologically, and they happened at different times in my life, and God had me go through those, and I handled them differently. They were hard. Every single one of those three lasted months and months and months. I think one lasted more than a year. Uh, The other one was uh, the death of a best friend and his family. Sudden, tragic, ten years ago, unexpected. And I went into various forms and experiences of depression. Kept it mostly to myself right here. I was a pastor working at a church. But I kept it to myself and to God. A lot of talking with God, praying to God, asking God why, crying to God, wrestling with God, 
it was traumatic, brutal, devastating. And went on for four or five months. And I was shocked at how long it impacted me and how deep. But by God's grace, I didn't resort to artificial ways to deal with it. This is, I live in a fallen world. We experience trials. We groan. God is my sufficiency. He will see me through. That is His promise. I've got to cling to that. Got to cling to that. Ten years later, He did. I look back. He got me through those three horrible church experiences. Uh, the unexpected death of a best friend and his entire family. So hopefully that distinction maybe will help you in diagnosing your own depression that you experience at times because I think the lie of the world is you're always supposed to be happy. That's probably one of the biggest lies that Satan has ever invented. You're always supposed to be happy and joyful. That's baloney. That, well, it wasn't true of Jesus and he's the master. As a matter of fact, I think he spent most of his three years of public ministry not happy. He was lonely. He was distressed. He was rejected. That was routine in his life. So, those are causes. Biblical causes. And so, when you are confronted with a trial or depression in your life, be careful in the diagnosing it. Lay it before the Lord. Try to find out what the source is through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God who is your teacher, through the counsel of God from fellow believers and the resources that He has provided through biblical teachers in helping you diagnose properly first what the cause is. Because therein lies the solution. It might be you just need more time for grieving. There's a time to grieve and a time to be joyful. That's what Ecclesiastes says. This is the balanced human life. It's not happy all the time. Happy, happy, happy all the time. Isn't that a Sunday school song? That's, that's a terrible song. Get rid of that song, children's church teacher. Well, let's conclude with Revelation 21. I'll give you a little hope instead of all this miserable, terrible, depressing stuff. Let's be Christian and fill our hearts with hope as we go to lunch. That way you'll get your appetite back. So in Revelation 21, this world is hard. This world is brutal. This world stinks. It has fallen. It is cursed. But God is good. God is good. Jesus is wonderful, our blessed Savior. His promises are true, and that's what we have in Revelation 21. Let's go ahead and we're going to close with this. Okay, Christian, if you know Jesus Christ, this is true of you. This promise is true of you. This is guaranteed. In the future someday, like John the Apostle, who had this prophetic vision, you will see and experience a new heaven. Isn't that awesome? You will see and experience a new earth, a perfect earth, an earth that is not cursed. For the first heaven and the first cursed earth will pass away. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among His people, and God shall dwell among them. In the future, in heaven, God will dwell with you in your very presence. The immediate presence of God. Not only will He dwell among us, they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. Here is the key verse in verse 4. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. You know what that means? In heaven there is no more depression. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's go to lunch. Let me go ahead and pray. Father, thank You for this day and the opportunity to to worship You, to be with the saints, to be encouraged by fellow believers, to be exposed to the Word of God. Father, again, we thank You that You've given us the Holy Spirit as our teacher and Jesus, the living Christ, who is the master teacher. God, remind us of these living words that we've been able to be reminded of today, like the promise of Revelation 21, verse 4, that although we battle with trials in this life that bring on different challenges of distress and anxiety and depression and frustration and crying and weeping and a lack of hope. As believers, we have hope in You because of the salvation You've imparted to us. 
the hope of the future and the triumphant resurrection we have promised to us in Christ and the hope of a new wonderful place called heaven, which is our home. We thank you so much for that great reality. We give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.